Do you crave meaningful conversations with people of different backgrounds and perspectives? Do you admire certain people from afar but wish you can get to know them on a deeper level? Thankfully, we live in an incredible age where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond the often manufactured sound bites, small talk, and social media posts we are bombarded with on a daily basis. This is a podcast that seeks to provide you, our listeners, with refreshing content from a variety of inspiring guests, a place where we can truly hear their stories. I'm Karen Corrin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Hey guys, welcome to season three of Soul Sessions. I have an incredible lineup of guests coming up who have so many valuable insights to share. And my guest for this episode is the wonderful Blimmy Heller. Her Instagram handle is Unconditional Parenting, and I've had the pleasure of interacting with her on Instagram for the past couple of years. So Blimmy is a parenting coach and an educator with over three years of experience, and her approach is not your typical one. She does not talk about reward and punishment, charts, and consequences. Instead, she approaches parenting in a very, very different way, and she doesn't use it as a method, but it's more like a way of life. Her approach to parenting is how she approaches relationships in general, and what you'll discover will leave an imprint on your mind. I'd be very curious to know your thoughts after listening to this. And now, without further ado, please welcome the wonderful Blimmy Heller. Hey, Blimmy, how are you? Good, thanks. Baruch Hashem. How are you? Thank God. Welcome to Soul Sessions. Thanks so much for joining me. I really Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I was talking to you a little bit before and I was like, I was so intimidated to ask you to be on my podcast because I see how busy you are, Baruch Hashem, with all the great things that you're doing. And I just think it's so important for you to discuss what you are doing and you're making waves for not only the Jewish community, but for the community at large, like the entire world, I think, because of Instagram, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can you tell the audience who you are? Who is Blimmy Heller and what do you do? Okay. First, I wanted to say you don't ever have to be intimidated for me. Anybody can <laughs> ask me anything. I'm just a human, just like everybody else. Um, so, you know, even if I have a large following on Instagram, I think that it's funny. We tend to sometimes think that because somebody has a large following, it sometimes some makes them like super human or above human or something. But at the end of the day, we're all exactly the same. We're all humans. <laughs> okay. So, um, what I do. Okay. So I'm Blimi Heller. I am a parenting coach and educator. So I became it was a journey. We'll get there, I guess, soon, right? Yeah. Um, deeply passionate about treating children with gentleness, kindness, and respect. And I just wanted to share my message with the world. So I actually just started and hoping that it would resonate with people and that they would become passionate about it the way that I had. And thankfully, that's exactly what has happened. And there's, you know, I really... I've had the opportunity to connect with so many incredible parents and to really be able to share this information um, and really help parents who would otherwise, you know, not necessarily know this information Mm -hmm. the same way I hadn't, you know, until I actually found it myself on um, the first place I actually came across it was also on social media. 
Oh, interesting. Where did you find it on social media? Oh my gosh. So should we, do you want to go into my whole story? Should I? Yeah. Share your story. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So it's very long. So I'm going to do it in short, but the, the basic idea is that I wasn't always gentle and respectful. I was, you know, a regular mainstream parent. I was raised in that kind of home. So that's the way I raised my child. Mm -hmm. Um, however, I was struggling greatly. Um, partly because my child didn't really respond very well to mainstream parenting. So some children, you know, respond fairly well. Um, but she really, really didn't. And that really made it obvious to me that something was wrong. I wasn't ready to change anything for a while until finally there were enough things that happened that made me realize that the only person in the relationship who's going to change is me. Um, and if I want things to work out, if I want to have a relationship with my child, I have to change things. And so I really, I started actually searching for information. Wait, can I pause you for one second? I'm so sorry. Sure. sure. I, what, can you, can you tell the audience, whoever doesn't understand what mainstream parenting is, what is mainstream parenting? And that's actually really good that you're asking. Yeah. Because I say these things expecting people to understand what I mean. Yeah. So mainstream parenting is basically what I refer to, which is what most of the reason why I call it mainstream is what probably most of us, you know, as Americans or even around the world, um, practice what has become the norm for parenting. So, um, consequences, rewards, you know, reward charts, um, you know, there's so many things to it, but that's probably the most obvious thing. That's I feel like it's also mainstream teaching. That's also true. Right. For sure. Exactly. But it's basically the way that we've come to see and expect parenting to be in our culture. You know, like we just think that this is how you're supposed to raise children. What, what do you mean? What else do you do besides for um, mm-hmm. do that, put them in timeouts, you know, um, all the books, you know, that are around talk about doing these kinds of things. So this is really has become the mainstream approach for most parents. Of course, there are parents who choose different paths. There are parents who parents did it differently. So they do it differently. Um, there's parents who actually follow their intuition and do it differently, you know, who follow their instincts. But for the most part, this is what most parents, I would say more or less, some version or another practice this kind of, um, you know, think in these ways about children and about parenting. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Sorry, I hope that's not the hope. Yes. It's still, that's more specific. It's, it's probably still a little vague, but no, I got it. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. So then I, I started searching actually actively for the information. It wasn't a mistake that I came across it. I actively started searching for parenting information that was different. You know, I was, I, I was already doing the mainstream stuff. I wasn't interested in hearing more about it. And so I would follow, I was on Facebook at that time, no Instagram. I, I just would follow whatever I can, you know, whenever I would see somebody talk about something interesting that was parenting related, I would, you know, look at what their, where they got that quote from or what they were saying. And, and through that, I eventually did come across, um, the first quote I ever saw, I think was by Rebecca Ians, who is a gentle yeah. parent herself. Yeah. She's an author. And it really resonated with me. I still remember the aha moment I had just reading it. And right. so then I followed her and from her, I saw L.R. Noss post. And then I saw, then I heard about Dr. Gordon Newfield and Dr. Shafali Tabar. It just like one thing led to another where I started, you know, then I started inundating, is that the word, myself with a bunch of this information because I was so drawn to it. 
And again, I was also desperate and it really spoke to me. That's really more than anything is that it resonated because I was desperate. So, but I wasn't, I wasn't willing to settle for information that didn't speak to me anymore. I was like, if I'm going to look for information, I want to make sure that it's something that really, really sits well with me. And, and so why I, was that not, why was that not speaking to you anymore? Like when did you decide to give up on that? Oh, okay. So I have a, in my course, I actually talk about the specific story that actually was a breaking point, but really it's because my relationship with my child, she was four and a half at the time, my oldest was so strained because of the fact that I was constantly threatening her mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to give her consequences and rewards. And she wasn't, she, she's a strong willed child and she wasn't you know, some kids, as soon as you threaten them, they're like, hey, 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 I'm going to do what you want me to do, right? Or as soon as you give a consequence, it works, so to speak. It didn't with her. She just would resist it. And it just made us both miserable because Mm -hmm. I was constantly like doing these things to her, which I hated doing. And it wasn't even working. And she was constantly, we were basically power in power struggles all the time. It Mm -hmm. created power struggles for me. And our relationship was, I, I really, I resented her to be totally honest. And I really hated parenting her. Um, people sometimes hear this and they're like, Oh, but that's the truth. And I think that, um, there's actually a lot of parents who really feel this way. Um, but they're too afraid to admit it to themselves, let alone others. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's really where, that's when I knew that this is this path. Something is just, remember, obviously all along the way, I felt, kept feeling uneasy about, let's say getting into power struggles or even about threatening my own child, you know, because I remember not liking it as myself as a child. So I didn't really love it to begin with, but I thought this is how you parent. This is how you have to do things. Like this is how you raise good people. And so right. I did it. But then when it was just such a struggle, I, I, I was, I, and, and it, 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 I just came to a point, a breaking point where I said, enough, I, I don't care if this works for everybody else. This is not working for us. So mm-hmm. I'm not, yeah. Right. And even if it was, even if it is working for other people, because they say, oh, look, but it's working. He's listening. Now he's doing what I'm asking him to do. Um, Can you explain in the long run, like why that doesn't work? Yeah. So, so the thing is that exactly, that's the tricky part is that for me, I did come to a point where I was really ready to change. right? Right. Whereas for some parents, this information comes at them because like I'm sharing it and there's a bunch of other people sharing it where what they're doing seems to, yes, be working. Yeah, maybe they feel a little guilty about it. Maybe here and there, it doesn't really sit so well with them the same way it did not with me. But for the most part, it is working. They don't have such a strong-willed child. You know, their child does get scared by consequences and, you know, and, and does get bribed by rewards. And these things, for the most part, are working. Then they wonder, so what's the big deal? Why is this off? And this is exactly the thing, is that at that point, I was ready. I was looking for information, but I didn't even realize how what happened. Okay. When, what happened was, is when I started understanding the information, remember I read a ton. I love researching anyway. Yeah. I research, you know, if I become involved in something, I research it like ad nauseum. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I so I really started reading everything. And what I started realizing was a whole world of truth that I had never even considered, you know, about children and what they need and, you know, what's important for them and what is harmful to them. And I started realizing that aside from the fact that this was just some, that mainstream parenting wasn't working for me personally, it doesn't work for anyone. And when I say work, I mean, work in the way that actually creates 
you know, the best, the best, what's the word I'm looking for called? Um, outcome. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Long term, right. Also for the short term, by the way, but that see when in mainstream parenting, they, there's studies on the stuff that people do like timeouts, punishments, there's studies on it and it shows that it does work, but how do we define work, right? Working could mean that it gets you immediate compliance. Yes, it does. Right. Working can be, but then does it work to create emotional intelligence? Does it work to create, um, emotional, does it work to create skills in the child and does it give them tools and does it create a, you know, a, a really good relationship with your child and does, right. All the things that we really like, what do we all want? You know, when, when, if you ask a parent, what do you, when you're raising your child, what is your biggest hope? What is your, what are your greatest hopes? And people will say, I want my child to be a caring, kind, compassionate, growing, a responsible, right. All these wonderful attributes, human right? We're looking to instill this in them, hardworking. But the thing is that so many times the parenting practices that we engage in, actually, if we ask, if we would stop ourselves and ask, wait, does this, is this right now, is this actually going to help that long-term goal or is it actually going to harm it? More often than not, the answer is that it's likely to harm it, right? right? And again, in a very, very subtle way sometimes, and that's why it's not obvious to most of us. Right. And so it's the, 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 the question of does it work, right, has to be challenged because working how? What's, in which way are you looking for it to work? We have, in, in our culture, in mainstream parenting, this is also right. another, another um, like you were saying, how could you describe mainstream parenting? The highest compliments a parent can get about their child is that they're compliant and well-behaved. Exactly. Yes. Especially when they go to a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Right. When they're in public, right. Oh. That is the be all and end all of parenting is well-behaved children. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that is what everything centers on. The approach centers on having well-behaved children. Now that is a very short term goal. And it also is kind of not really realistic. Children are not supposed to be well-behaved because of their, and this is totally, you know, if the neuroscience points to this and also just look at children, because of their lack of brain development, so their brains develop slowly over time, they literally do not have the maturity in place, the skills in place to be well-behaved. So children actually are still learning how to behave and their brains are still developing the skills of be you know behaving or whatever you want to call it. I actually don't like that word. Um, Alfie Cohen actually, who's a great author. Um, Alfie Cohen. Alfie Cohen. Yeah, he wrote a book called Unconditional Parenting, also punished by rewards. Um, and he he always says that you know any parenting book can be the the value of it can be directly measured by the amount of times that they write the word behave in there. Hmm. <laughs> right. So I love that. It's so true, right? So so but the thing is that when we when well be well behaved children becomes our most important goal, we forget about all the other goals and we will, we will sacrifice all other goals in the name of that. And like I said, children are not supposed to be well-behaved. So expecting them to will take or trying to make them will take measures that are not necessarily healthy or helpful. I'm going to interrupt you. Okay. 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 Please right. do. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, when you say that they're not supposed to be well-behaved. I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of like uh, eyebrows being lifted right now. Like, mm, what did you just say? What do you mean they're not supposed to be well-behaved? Um, so what? Like when we take our kids out and they're throwing 
a horrible tantrum in the supermarket, okay? Mm -hmm. What what is a parent supposed to do? Are they supposed to just let chaos erupt in the supermarket because they're not? Oh, their brains aren't developed, so they have to act like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's great. I'm so happy you asked it because as I was saying it, I was I, I already. <laughs> can uh, predict the questions that people exactly. will have Not only because I've been doing this for so long. I know already right. the reactions people have. Yeah. Sure. A lot of things I say initially sound super controversial, yeah. right? People are just like, what are you saying? I remember, especially because like we always hear how important it is. Now I'm not saying we should not teach children and I'm not saying that we should allow them, right? Allow them to not allow. That's the wrong word because we can't not allow as in like they, they're going to just you can't control how they act, but you can teach them better and you can help them do better. What I mean is that we shouldn't accept, okay? That doesn't mean that we should accept negative behavior, right? That doesn't mean that we shouldn't say this is not okay, that is not okay, right? It doesn't mean that we say, oh, they're a child, so they can act however they want to. I'm just going to sit back and relax, right? right? No, no, no. That's not what I mean. It's obviously you're very actively involved. You say, this is okay. This is not okay. You block them. You protect other people. You, you know, you help them calm down. You teach them better. You give them skills and tell them how to do better, but you do not expect them to act like an adult tomorrow. You know that even though you are teaching them and you're giving them better skills, you know, it's a slow, it's a slow progression. It's going to happen slowly over time because they're learning, right? And so you don't expect good behavior all the time. You know that they're going to make mistakes over and over and over and over again. And you know just that they're like not us. going, what do you say? Just like us. Exactly. I was just going to say just like us, but even more extreme than us or not necessarily more extreme. It's just that their behavior because of their lack of brain development, their, uh, their immaturity, their behavior will look more immature than ours. Their mistakes will be more immature, but we're making just as many mistakes as they are. Our mistakes are just much less noticeable and much more socially appropriate. Right. Whereas their mistakes are just highly immature. And so look really horrible to us. So it's, it's not that we don't teach and that we just are like, sure, you can act however you want. It's that, but the expectation is that I understand development, which a lot of parents don't. I didn't, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that this is developmentally appropriate for right now. That doesn't mean I don't teach. It doesn't mean I don't help them do better. That doesn't mean I don't stop them in the moment, etc. But I'm not going to use extreme measures because I have an expectation that is unrealistic about how my child is supposed to behave. Right. So, okay. So speaking of the timeout example, right? right. In our culture, timeouts are considered bad behavior. It's like, you are doing something absolutely wrong by having a tantrum. So I need to, you know, put you in a timeout or separate scold you. you. Sorry. Like separate the child. Yes. Yeah, separate you from me or scold you or, you know, whatever it is to get you to stop doing it because you need to learn that this is not okay behavior. Okay. First of all, this example is, is different than others because tantrums are not bad behavior. What they are is emotions that are completely out of control. So if we understand, and usually tantrums are known, right, to be most common in children between the ages of like one and four, or let's say, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you understand brain development, um, at that age, I mean, really throughout their years, they're still learning emotional regulation. Their brain is still developing that, not even learning. Okay. So they don't even have the, the wiring in place to regulate themselves. So that means if they feel something, it's going to, right. There's no break on the emotions. It's going to be wildly out of control. Right. And that's exactly what a tantrum is. It's just emotions that are completely 
on steroids, you know? Do these only exist between one and four? (laughs) No, 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 no. So I call, okay, no, that's why I said usually they're known for, obviously not children are, have meltdowns or are really upset about things up until forever. Right. Right. But, but, but like the tantrum scream cry in public in front of other people is usually only with children who are not, you know, usually around that age, of course, depending on so many things, because children who let's say have autism or ADHD, their brains actually are developing differently. So because of that, they actually also might tantrum in public and do these things. But usually an older child will have enough. Okay. Let's put it like this way. An eight-year-old who is, doesn't have ADHD or autism or any of those other, you know, neuro, um, their neuro, they're neurotypical, let's say, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, they would not have a tantrum in a store most likely because they would be embarrassed to do, to do so. Now, why is a four-year-old not embarrassed? They might also be embarrassed, maybe. Usually they're not, first of all, aware so much of social norms, but also because even if they were embarrassed, they literally can't control themselves in the moment mm-hmm. because they lack so much emotional regulation. An eight-year-old has much more skills and is able to actually you know, control themselves in the moment and not like they might cry, they might be really upset, but they're able to like control that, you know, flailing and whatever it is. Maybe right. not at home, they wouldn't, which is a whole separate topic, but that's because they feel safe at home. And um, it's not necessarily a bad thing at all, even though or we do people they're comfortable way. with, like, right, right. Just like we always act the worst with the people that we're most, we feel most safe with. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole separate topic. Oh my gosh. But anyway, so but the thing is, so let's see with a child who is having a tantrum, right? So from this approach, we actually see as a child needs our help regulating and they're really upset about something. Now it doesn't mean that we don't, let's say, remove them from the store or the restaurant because it is, you know, maybe you do think it's disruptive, like annoying for other people to um, hear it. But some people actually are like, actually are not of that opinion. I've seen many parents say like they're a child and they're entitled to do their thing just because it annoys your adult ears. Like it's okay. You can handle it for a few minutes, which I'm not sure where I stand on that. Um, to be honest, but cause either way I would remove my child only because I personally cannot help my child regulate when I feel the judgment of a bunch of other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's why I would, so I've never even considered what I really believe about, you know, doing that to other people. Maybe I do believe that it's just polite. Cause I know how annoying it is even for me to hear, listen to it, you know? Yeah. Of course. So, Yeah. So, yeah. So basically I would, um, remove the child, you know, from there gently go outside and then just help them regulate. Right. So that comes from having an age appropriate expectation. I understand what this child is capable of and what they're not. And so then, right. I understand that tantrum is not bad behavior. Now, what if they genuinely do display bad behavior? That's a whole separate topic. But what we do in those situations also is that we just, in the moments, help diffuse it. And then we educate and help them with better skills for the future. You see, consequences and rewards don't teach skills. Mm-hmm. There is no teaching of skills in there. It's literally just what it is about. What consequences and rewards do is it targets motivation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the belief is my child is not motivated enough to do the right thing. Therefore, I must artificially increase motivation. That's the only goal of consequences and rewards, right? So it's basically, that means the belief really behind it is that, so if I create a consequence, I am making it less worthwhile for them, Mm -hmm. therefore increasing their motivation not to do it. Or if I give them a reward, I am making it more worthwhile for them, therefore increasing their motivation not to do do it. Okay. I see that. 
Yeah. So that's the belief. And now the thing is that sometimes, okay, depending on how it can increase motivation, because there is such a thing as extrinsic motivation, which is motivation is a whole separate topic on its own as well. Yeah. Again, I'm saying a I mean, lot of topics. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Cause everything I say, <laughs> so I like just in my mind, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, there's so much people need to know. So in, um, extrinsic, so therefore it will create that motivation for that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Alfie Goen says, you know, does it work? Will you, will he says it works uh, that you gain immediate compliance, but at enormous cost. Okay. Mm-hmm. This, the mistake also is that your child is not lacking motivation. That is not why they're not doing it. It's because they actually lack the impulse control and the emotional regulation not to do that. They actually are lacking skills and we have to actually help them build those skills and learn those skills and also expect development to catch up um, with them. Right. Because a lot of things are just about that. Some people will say, you know, my child went through a phase and then suddenly they just were out of it. It's because they actually grew up, right. They actually matured. Yeah. So, so, um, what was I talking about with brain develop, uh, with, oh yeah. So we don't, we're not looking to artificially increase motivation. We don't actually even see that as the issue. We don't think our children are unmotivated to do the right thing. We actually just think that they lack the skills to do so. And the truth is, that's really the truth. Every single one of us, right? Although we have impulses that definitely in the moment make us want to do certain things that are not okay, right? Right. We all have a soul, right? And that is our true essence. And our soul is a part of God who is infinitely good and valuable and worthy and who just wants to do good. We, our soul just wants to do the right thing. And our children, just like us, have that part in them and it is their essence. And everybody just wants to do the right thing. Like I said, in a moment, of course, their impulses will tell them, or we all have that, where we have impulses that want to do just the opposite of what is good. But underneath that is still the desire to do what is right. So they're not lacking the motivation. It's that they're lacking the skills necessary to do so. Um, and again, also, when children are in an environment where there's a very strong connection with their parents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they actually want to cooperate. As in, So let's say if somebody would argue with me and say, yes, yeah, sometimes they do lack the motivation. The connect, that's where connection with parents is right. actually is the motivation. I see. Which is the whole, yeah. Wow. So, you know, all of this that you're telling me right now and telling the audience is that there requires a lot of connection and patience from the parent side that it's not just about like stating rules and expecting obedience and you do as I say. It's actually not about that at all. Um, It's more about having a relationship with your child and teaching them how to regulate themselves and giving them the skills that are necessary to succeed in life with their emotions. Um, But I find that when a parent who is an adult (laughs) doesn't have these skills themselves Mm -hmm. because they have been brainwashed and trained for years and years and years and they don't even know how to access that part of themselves because of constantly putting layers on and layers and layers so is this method of parenting i don't know i don't even know if you would call this a method of parenting i don't you know um, i wouldn't yeah 
Okay, so what would you call it? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you in a second. Finish your question. Yeah. So with this type of parenting, gentle parenting, how does this apply to adults who need it themselves? Meaning like they don't have these techniques yeah. of parenting and letting go of all this stuff. Yeah, I love that you're saying that because conditioning, right? We're a product of nature and nurture and nurture has such a strong hold over us. You know, our brains literally are wired, are formed through the way that we're raised. And if we were raised in homes that this was done to us and we were constantly told this by society, it's very strong conditioning, right? It's subconscious even. Like in the beginning, when I first heard this information consciously, it made so much sense and I completely agreed with it subconsciously, I did not agree with it. Right. Every time there was like a disconnect, every time I would want to be gentle with my child and say, okay, let me just accept their emotions and understand. My brain was freaking out and saying like, no, you can't do that. What do you mean? Your child has to comply. They have to, right? Like it was completely still it was stuck in its conditioning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we sometimes, exactly, I'm talking about creating skills and giving our children skills. We, because of the fact that some of us were raised, where teaching skills was not part of parenting. It was literally just making you obedient. Mm-hmm. We don't have the skills. So many adults are literally lacking so many skills. And like you said, and they don't even, you know, if they don't have it themselves, how can they even te- let alone teach it to their child? No. How can they even Pass that themselves and let alone teach it to their child, right? Like how can right, they- because it's like children, like there's so many adults who are still children. Yes, 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 exactly, exactly. So I love that you mentioned that because this is a huge, huge, huge piece of gentle and respectful parenting. Also, I want to just um, refer to the, the piece where you said, is it a method? Yeah. So I actually strongly um, dislike the you know, when people sometimes refer to as as method, which I totally understand because we're so used to those kinds of words when it comes to parenting. I so strongly dislike the word because a method or a technique implies like, um, formalized, is it it called formalization? We are basically, you make, it's a system and there's, you know, um, science, science, it's broken down into parts and there's a way to do it. Human beings, are not systematic. We are individuals, right? We are unique and to make, and that's why this, the whole notion, this idea of even having parenting methods around is something I like strongly oppose because you cannot, there is no one way to parent children. There's no method that you can have that is going to work for every parent, every child. Children are not deduced, deductible like that. Wow. Raising humans can't be deduced to methods. Mm -hmm. So I call it an approach even though, but I still don't love that word. It's really just a way of life. It's a path. It's a different, it's a paradigm shift. It's a perspective. It's a way of seeing things. That's what it is. It's a way of living life. It's a journey. It's not a destination. You know, it's not like with methods, it's like, do this, do that. They should comply. That's how you test if it works. With gentle, respectful parenting, there's no testing if it works. There's no, um, you know, do this, do that. It's kind of just like get into a relationship with your child, learn child development, expect normal, you know, have regular expectations, teach them, give them skills, build those things. And then it's just a progression. It's a journey. And you just move through life together with them in a peaceful way. And, um, they, as they get older, they just turn into wonderful, beautiful people. Um, hopefully. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. Yeah. But then going back to my first question. So in order to raise 
beautiful, caring, compassionate people, you have to do that yourself. Yeah. Well, that's an well, entire separate topic about modeling, right? The behavior right. we want to see, which yeah, a huge, huge, huge aspect of parenting is modeling, which that's also, also like, what? Yeah, sorry. Sorry. I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah. Which is also in mainstream parenting, which is so fascinating to me that in mainstream parenting, we literally tell our children, do as I say, not as I do. Mm. We are completely not modeling any of the behavior we're asking to see from them. So for example, they lash out in anger, right? And we say, don't you dare lash out in anger. We're Mm. lashing out at them, right? We literally, that is like, it's fascinating. We tell them, do not threaten your sister like that, or don't control another person. Well, we're actually doing that all the time as well, right? So it's, it's, it's fascinating for me. I mean, when I first started out, my child would actually call me out on these things. Um, I, I would say like, it's not okay to do it. And she'd say, so then why do you do it to me? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'd be yeah. like, um, I don't know. So, but the thing is, Stop that, yeah, screaming, so- <laughs> mommy, you're screaming at me. <laughs> I know, right? Sometimes it's that obvious, and sometimes it's more subtle. But yeah, we are really, um, yeah. So modeling is like some people say it's like ninety percent of parenting. You know, I say connection is the most important thing in parenting. That's my. But modeling is a close second, right? But okay. So speaking of inner, of, of basically ourselves raising ourselves. So a huge, this is the thing. Mm-hmm. Mainstream parenting also is very good at not making the per, the parents or not forcing the parent, or I don't know how to say it, look at themselves, mm. look inward, right? It's all about the child and the child complying. The child is the problem. The child needs to be fixed. The child is, everything's the child. And it, it's all about methods, techniques, and whatnot in order, special tricks and tips to get the child to do what you want them to do. The parent rarely ever, it never calls upon the parent to actually look inward and say, uh, hold on, what am I bringing to the table? How am I co-creating the situation? You know, how am I, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. There, with gentle and respectful parenting, because we do not do any of those things and because the approach is so different and because we're teaching skills, all of a sudden it highlights everywhere where we need to grow. This is the beauty for me of gentle and respectful parenting. Because when I was actually practicing mainstream parenting, it felt, besides for the fact that it felt dreadful because I was constantly you know, in conflict with my child, it also felt dead to me. It just felt like I had to like just move through the daily motions of just like feeding my child, giving them this, giving them that. It almost felt like I just had to you know, do the daily grind of like raising humans and it was just right. such a meaningless task in a way. Yeah, it was like, I had surviving. It was like survival. Yeah, kind of. And it was just like, yeah, it's meaningful because it's a child, but I couldn't really connect to the meaning, you know? Right. Whereas when I adopted gentle and respectful parenting, oh my goodness, a world of meaning opened up mm-hmm. because now I literally every interaction brought me to, you know, a mirror to, to, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Like to look at myself, to have forced me to be like, whoa, what is coming up with, uh, with like uh, coming up right now? And I noticed where I needed to grow, what I needed to work through, right? And so I started working on myself and evolving, which is what we're here for, which is the beauty. And it made so much sense to me that, oh my goodness, right? So of course, parenting is about raising your child, but it's also about raising yourself. There is no force in this world like children to force us to grow right? If we take the opportunity, we can completely, you know, close our eyes and, you know, close our fists or whatever it is to the opportunity and be like, nope, this is not about me. This is about my child, right? 
or we can actually accept the invitation and recognize this is such an incredible opportunity to raise ourselves, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And of course, raising ourselves takes work. And some people want to employ the help of a therapist. Some people just, you know, do self-healing and there's all kinds of work that people can do. It does take work, but it is the most fulfilling and gratifying work. You know, I, when I first started out with gentle, respectful parenting, I started noticing, you know, my inner child actually having tantrums Hmm. when my child would be doing something. Right. So my daughter would say no to me. Now, I was never allowed to say no as a child. I'm sure just like most of you listening, yeah. right? I wouldn't dare, right? I learned pretty early on that I can't do that. So when my child would say no to me, now I knew I didn't want to slap. That was one thing I, I, I didn't ever do even before. So um, I, would, I would look at her and be my inner, ch- now before I did mainstream parenting, I would just feel angry and I would just lash out at her in some way or another, right? And be like, you cannot talk to me that way or whatever when I started doing gentle parenting and doing that was not okay anymore. And I had to just be, you know, in the moment and understand where she's coming from and teach her and educate her in a way that was kind and respectful. I noticed, you know, a part of me flipping out. Right. And basically and I was like, and I heard in my, in my, the voice in my head was basically saying like, how dare she say no to you? You were never allowed to say no. You wouldn't dare do that to your parent. Why does she think she can do that? You know, right. flipping out at her. And basically what was that? I was my inner child. I was basically, like you said, we're children inside, you know, sometimes it was, it was that child inside who said, this is not fair. If I got, if I wasn't allowed to do this, why are you? Right. right. And more, this happens to more of us than most of more often than we'd like to admit, you know, or so we react where kids like the way our parents reacted to us when we were misbehaving. Yes. We copy them. Exactly. And it yes. we get triggered by whatever triggered our parents. Maybe. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We literally just, we caught, we take the template that we were raised with and we literally just continue that chain and we create it again unless unless we actually take steps to stop it and we say like this stops with me and i'm actually going to create a different trajectory for my children you know and and so yeah yeah, so we have to come you know we have to face our own demons and it's not easy necessarily and it's not fun and um you know dandy but parenting isn't fun and dandy regardless and to me this is a lot a lot more meaningful than just expecting compliance from my child and arguing with them and getting power struggles about it. And, you know, that kind of meaninglessness. Right. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So generally speaking, Mm -hmm. I I just want to generalize because not all families are like this and Mm -hmm. there's, there's families that only have a single mom or the father who's with the children, but generally speaking, the mother is usually with the children the most, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Yeah. So the, I, I, I see that because it's the mother who's raising and connecting with the children and learning all of these, not techniques, but these ways of connecting with the child and learning about herself and taking care of her inner child, all of that, if it lies on the mother, then there might be some sort of power struggle or tension with the father because here the mother is learning everything and working on herself and working on a relationship with her children. And then like the father might apply techniques from mainstream parenting and then like all goes down the drain. Like everything that you're working hard for 
goes down the drain because the father isn't working on himself or his inner child because like whatever, maybe he doesn't have access to this or mm-hmm. he's not with the children as often. So what would you say to um, parents, to both parents about this way of parenting? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm so happy you're mentioning this because this is actually a big concern for a lot of people. So by the way, just like statistically, um, yes, women are the ones who are, I don't know if they're more necessarily more with the children, but they are the ones who usually are more um, growth oriented when it comes to parenting. Right. You know, they're usually going to, yeah. Um, the parenting classes. And- right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They're going to be more, you know, try to be more conscious and more aware and do all those things. Okay. Now the thing is that, so that means that there's a lot of people then, right? If statistically it's higher, then there's going to be a lot of parents who are, have a spouse, right? Um, usually the husband, right? Who is going to not necessarily be on board is not really going to understand or maybe on board in theory, but in practice just has their own stuff to work through. And so it doesn't really show up in the way that, you know, he hopes to like a lot of us do. Right. right. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of those things to contend with. Now, I actually don't believe that just because, okay. So some parent people believe that parents have to both parent in the exact same way in order to be a united front, mm-hmm. right. To their children. So actually, yes, it's important to be a united front, meaning that you both respect each other and don't undermine each other, but you do not have to have the same approach. You do not have to agree on everything. I mean, since when do two people agree on everything ever, right? There's always going to be differences of opinion and that is totally normal and okay for your children to know that this is how mom does it. This is how dad does it. As long as mom and dad don't undermine each other. So what that means is that you can come to an agreement that, you know, agree to disagree on certain things, but that we respect each other. So you create your own arrangement with, you know, however you want to do, but let's say when I, you know, you tell like when mom starts handling a situation, um, dad doesn't step in and take over unless he asks mom if she wants help. Right. And vice versa. When dad is actually handling things with the children, mom doesn't step in unless dad asks, you know, for help or, you know, invites that. So you don't undermine each other and never, to actually, if, if there's something that you want to discuss, which you didn't like the way it went down or something, you can always bring it up later, but never in front of the children. Right. Mm-hmm. So never to like argue and be like, which is easier said than done, obviously. Cause sometimes you're just like, how in the world, why are you doing that? Right. right. Especially the more gentle and respectful one becomes the more fine tuned and sensitive yes. one becomes to the perspective sure. of a child. Yeah. I mean, I know definitely that's happened with me. I've become so so sensitive to the perspective of a child that things that most people would consider completely okay to do to children. I just, I'm like, yeah, the world. Yeah. Right. So, and the thing is, so the more gentle and respectful we become, the more sometimes it can seem as if the same offense a year ago seems much worse now. Right. Mm -hmm. In our eyes. So it could be hard to watch, but, um, to remember though, that your relationship with your child is your relationship with your child. Your spouse's relationship with your children is his relationship with his children. Your relationships can't undermine each other. Do you understand what I mean by that? Yes. Right? Yes. Like you have a different, I'm sure each of you have a different relationship, like you, Karen, right? Have a different right. relationship with your mother and a different relationship with your father, correct? For sure. For right. Sure. And one, and right. And one doesn't necessarily impact the other. Like they're two separate people. You have two different relationships. So it's the same thing. If connection is the most important thing, you nobody can actually, the only person who can come between the relationship between you and your child is yourself, right? 
I mean, if, right, if you allow, or if you allow, you know, uh, things with your husband to come in, but it's, it's you who's allowing that to. So, so, so it doesn't, it doesn't destroy everything or take everything away. If your spouse is doing things differently, that's the way your spouse does it. He'll have to contend with the relationship that he's creating with his children. Right. Um, and it, that's it. You know, mm-hmm. again, you can for sure share concepts and ideas here and there over dinner in a way that is non-confrontational. That's best, obviously. Actually, um, you know, yeah. it's funny. My husband and I, we have, <laughs> I made a WhatsApp chat for us. Okay. That is just about parenting. No way. So that, like, I promise you. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> so that, you know, the messages that I receive don't get lost in the shuffle between our like private messages so that uh, it's in this um, WhatsApp group, anything to do with like gentle parenting or like keeping peace in the home. I put it in this chat so that like he also gets these messages, not just me, because like, he's not on Instagram, like the way I am. Yeah. Um, he doesn't follow the people I follow. So I, I screenshot it and I put it in the chat. So just like it, it sinks in, you know? Yeah. Completely. By the way, it really, really does help. You know, you don't even know the power of just see when something, when you're, when you're exposed to something over and over and over again, it oh, eventually yeah. enters your subconscious you know, without you even realizing that's the power of advertisements. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, that's such a great idea of just, you know, being exposed to these quotes. There's so many around about lots of your quotes have been in my, in this group. (laughs) So there's not just even mine, right. There's so many people who, who, who spread this message now who you can, you can, yeah, just, I love this idea. Share it with your spouse. And so that you're just exposed to it. Just like, it shifts your brain, your mindset a little bit for that day. And you're just like, Hmm, interesting. And you ponder it and you're exposed to it. And so that's actually a great, great, great idea of just, um, doing. Yeah. Also, I was thinking, I was thinking when you first said the WhatsApp chat where you bring up something with in parenting, you know, like I wanted to discuss, instead of like, actually let's say you're upset about something in the moment that's happening. You can just write over there. Like, I want to just discuss this and this. Um, oh, right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's okay, so public. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like heat in the moment and doing whatever or, or not, I find sometimes it's better just not to constantly say what we're finding fault with. Obviously nobody wants to be constantly criticized or feel like you think you're the better parent or whatever. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's good cop, bad cop, as they say in the mainstream language. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's easy. It definitely can be difficult, but I just want to say this, like I just said, being exposed to something over and over again does um, seep into your subconscious. So, for sure. but, but that same token, when, a, when if, let's say the mother is constantly parenting in this way, just by the fact that she is doing it and her husband is around watching sometimes, obviously, whenever he is home, that itself actually will slowly just without, just by osmosis, without anybody even trying to purposely do anything at his own time and own pace, he will start just without even realizing himself adopting certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, I know so many people who have seen this and I've seen it with my, you know, myself. And so, yeah, so that's basically what I wanted to say about, um, yeah. Right. I mean, I think this is much easier. I mean, this is, none of this is easy. This, yeah, as you said, takes hard work and totally. lots of patience and developing ourselves and figuring out who we are. But I also think it is easier when you have like one child to work with. How would we apply this approach, this way of life to when we have multiple children, you know, like finding the balance, like maybe there's two kids who are like 
meeting me at the same time. So how do I, you know, how would one bring this approach when it's a lot of kids? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I totally hear what you're asking, but I just wanted to mention something from last point that I, I didn't mention. That I think is super important. Is that I think most people know this. We can't change another person. We can't control them. So that should never be the goal with our spouse, like to change them or to control them. It's just to share information, try as possible. And then I said, like, I said, and that's why agreeing to disagree is the most respectful thing we can do because we're recognizing that it's not my job to change anybody else, and I can't. Um, and so we're just gonna do make, figure out something that actually does work. You know. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to mention that. Okay. No problem. So the thing is that with, um, you were asking about with multiple children. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So multiple children are hard, no matter what kind of parenting we practice, right? It's just hard. It's more, more people, more needs going around. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And sometimes mainstream parenting can seem easier. I mean, even for what, with one kid, it can seem easier because we don't actually have to necessarily sometimes be as present right? And like you said, as patient. Sometimes and, you don't want to deal with it. Like I know yeah. my way of doing things is like when I'm feeling very overwhelmed and like all the kids are super, super needy. I sometimes like one of my defense mechanisms is to revert to like just escape. I want to go to my room. Yeah. Break. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, honey, like you deal with this. I need a break. Yeah. Well, it's not necessarily a bad idea if you know that your limits and you know, you're going to blow up anyway or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the thing is that it's really about, it's, it's, I know people who have taken my course, who have eight children who are doing this. Right. So it's not really about the amount of children, even though we tend to think that more is harder because it's already harder with one. But the truth is that if we practice gentle and respectful parenting, it's actually, um, and we truly do. Right. I mean, in the beginning is the hardest, hardest, hardest stage for sure. Cause we're like changing everything around. But once we get into like the flow of it, it's actually, um, it's so much in a way it's, it, it makes it so much, I don't want to say easier. That's the wrong word, but there's ease, right? There's a certain ease in the parenting. There's a certain flow because as a result of the connection and as a result of everything else that we've been doing, accepting emotions, this and that, that it actually is, you know, we're, and also, also, gentle and respectful parenting takes a lot of creativity. So meaning it takes, it's, it's not just like methods and practices where it's like, do this and then do that and do that. It takes, it, it relies on the parent to actually use their, their own mind, you know, their brain to actually come up with solutions and to actually be creative in the moment and to be like, Hmm, what do I do at this time? How do I handle this? And because of that, we actually become really good at managing, you know, a few children's needs at the same time, because it takes that same resourcefulness, you know? in that moment or whatever, it's not really as uh, as difficult as it initially sounds. I know like gentle and respectful parenting initially sounds so difficult, but I always say in the long run, it's actually less difficult, not in the fact that like, it's always difficult to raise human beings, right? It's always, but that there's more ease, definitely more ease. You're not constantly, I, you know, in mainstream parenting, so many times we end up just being on behavior patrol. We're kind of like our, you know, the CEO, uh, yeah. Not CEO is not a good word. We were like the manager, like the what's the word called? Somebody who's constantly the one of those people who don't let other people breathe. Like they don't know how to delegate. They're just like oh, micromanager. That's what I'm looking for. Yes, Yes. there. I was literally a micromanager. So of course that's exhausting. And micromanaging drives you. In gentle, respectful parenting, you don't do that. It's so different. So it does create that ease and that you know whatever. Now again, of course, self care is super important. Sometimes we do get super overwhelmed. Helping all, you know, but also having 
like you said before with like healing ourselves and working on our own stuff, there's, you know, reparenting ourselves and learning how to coach ourselves through things is actually super helpful as well. So sometimes, you know, my children will cry at the same time. Right. And both be like, whatever. And I'll be like, Oh my gosh, help. Especially because I'm like sensory with like sounds. It's like, I can get so overwhelmed by it. You know, and I literally just want to scream. I really just want to be like, stop, you know? Yeah. yeah. That, that triggers me the most, by the way. Sam. Oh my gosh. And they no. both need something at the same time. And they're screaming and crying. I was like, oh my. so I just coach myself. I'm just like, it's just noise. It's okay. Like that's the thing is that our body goes into like, this is an emergency. And then we flip out. Whereas if we actually learn, this is the beauty of actually working on ourselves. If we learn to just coach ourselves through that and be like, it's just noise. It's okay. They have needs. You'll do as much as you can. You're only one person. You can only do so much. You'll do one at a time, whatever you're capable of doing. And then in that reassuring voice, because you're able to talk to yourself that way, you can talk to your children that way. And you say, okay, what is it that you need? I'm going to get to you in a moment, right? And it's actually much less chaotic than it could be. It actually ends wow. up being much like, right? It's so um, true. Yeah. So true, Blimmy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm so mind blown right now because I mean, I have been following you on Instagram for over, I think like three years now. Wow. I mean, two and a half years, three years, but yeah, you were definitely one of the first accounts I've been following and your teachings and everything that you're saying on Instagram has really seeped into my subconscious as well. Yeah. And I'm, I am very now sensitive to the way kids are reacting Although I, I do still have lots of remnants from mainstream parenting and I'm don't still we all? working on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a constant journey. You think I don't, we all do. Yeah. 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 But can you, can you tell everybody, I mean, you already, you know, you said, you said a lot right now in this podcast, but oh my gosh, there there's so much more to say. So uh-huh. much more. Yeah. So much, so much more. This is like, just, this is like the tip, like not even, it's not even like the tip of the tip. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. So can you tell the listeners where they can find you? What else you do, how people can get into gentle and respectful parenting? Yeah. So the first thing is, is that you can just get your feet wet and follow me on Instagram. There's no commitment necessary there. You can unfollow at any time. I don't think people will be unfollowing you. (laughs) Sometimes, no, sometimes what I say triggers people, which is so understandable, right? It's very triggering to be, to be, to be confronted with your own stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. And with your own, and also, especially if you're doing things that you're ashamed of, etc. Okay. Which is also normal. So yeah. But the thing is that you can just follow me and I share stuff there all the time, little concepts yeah. and, you know, um, and you can always challenge me on it. If it's something that just doesn't sit well with you, you're unsure about if I have time, I do get a lot of messages every day, but I really do try to answer everybody. Um, yeah. eventually. So yeah. So just that on Instagram, I actually have a lot of great information where I share so, so much. Like I'm sure some, you know, some of you listening might be thinking, okay, so it sounds all nice in theory, but I don't really get it. You didn't give anything practical, which is true. Um, right. I did it. I did it first of all, because the practical is far more complicated than it is just a method. Right. Like I said, exactly. it's not like, do this and then do that. But there definitely is a lot of practical advice that I give all the time. And, it's, and, and so that's where actually I offer a course. Yeah. So, so tell us about your course. Yes. So because it's, it, it really requires such a shift in mindset and also a different way of doing things, I find that even people who follow me, um, many times are still lacking, you know, the fine tuned details and the really 
the crux sometimes of what it is that will be helpful to them as a parent if they're trying mm -hmm. to adopt this. So I created a course for that where basically I go through it in, you know, step by step and build the concept one piece at a time and explain the entire thing in full, um, exactly how it works and what we do. Wow. And yeah. And actually I just released a level two course. Oh, this um, is people already completed the first course. Yes, exactly. Um, awesome. So far, right now it's not available to anybody who hasn't taken my first one yet, even though I may eventually do that. I'm not sure. But mm -hmm. yes, yeah, so for those people who already took my, what I call my essentials course, where they got like the basic, I, you know, concept and everything where they feel they want to actually now help while I start integrating it much more and starting to learn how to be creative and doing those things in the moment. Cause remember it's about that more than anything else. So, um, I actually created a, a second course that is going to be much more interactive and experiential to help parents with that, which awesome. I'm really excited about. I also have, a like for people who have also only signed up to my course, I have a monthly webinar where people's questions if they have questions you know throughout the month that came up and we review and so we get practical tips and review the information and people find that super helpful as well because remember like i said there's so much conditioning with mainstream parenting right so yeah. a it takes so much to undo conditioning right because it's in the subconscious but second of all it also is so it takes so much um, work, you know, to constantly like be doing this as opposed to something else. So I find that sometimes coming to my course is not necessarily enough unless a parent is very motivated and has different resources um, to continue on that path without the constant inspiration and motivation and, you know, constantly being. So that's why I created the monthly thing. Um, Amazing. I really found that it was helpful to parents and that they needed it. Wow. Thank you so much for me. So guys, if you're not following Glimmy Heller, Unconditional Parenting on Instagram, you should do it right now. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> and the information for your course, the Essentials course, and Bezrat Hashem, the level two course is also going to be on your Instagram page. Yes. Um, Glimmy, thank you so much for your wisdom, for your advice, and for teaching us all how to you know, connect with our children much better than we do today. Um, yeah. My just pleasure. Thank you so much for awesome. being on and giving me the opportunity to speak. Like I said, I'm super passionate about this. So any yeah. opportunity I get to speak, I am elated Yay. <laughs> literally oh, because I just, I, 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 I honestly love sharing it because I care about parents and especially children, um, being treated with respect and having, um, you know, uh, experiencing a childhood where there is where they're treated the way they should be right yeah. and where they're given what they actually need beautiful yeah beautiful. thank you blimmy i appreciate it thank you so much take care bye-bye hey guys thanks so much for tuning in and if you enjoy this podcast please leave a review. That would mean so much to me. And I would love to hear your feedback about the show and how I can make this better for you. And if you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at Soul Train KK. Have a great day.